Hi, I'm Ryan Nostroyato, and this is Donuts in the Lounge, a podcast for educators. I've worked in public schools since 2001 as a school psychologist and as an administrator, and I've met a lot of educators over the years. They all have one thing in common. They want to create the best possible experience they can for students. But the truth is, that means something different to everyone, and there are some challenges along the way. And I'll be the first to say, we don't always have the solutions, but we definitely have each other and a chance to talk about our reality. Season one of Donuts in the Lounge is focused on how we use data in schools. Many of these stories are in a book I wrote, the K-12 Educator's Data Guidebook, Reimagining Practical Data Use in Schools. And if you join my email list, you'll get a discount code for 20% off the book, plus other free resources like podcast episode summaries. These are just for my email list friends as a thank you, because you know, we've got a good thing going on over there. So sign up at ryanestrayato.com. In this episode of Donuts in the Lounge, I get to talk with Santos Gonzalez, who's a leadership coach for the Los Angeles Education Partnership. Before that, she was a principal and a teacher, and in those roles, she's helped a lot of students and a lot of staff be successful in the public school system. We get deep on this episode. We talk about what it's like to work in public ed for so long that you realize school improvement is way more complicated than you thought. We also get into No Child Left Behind and how it changed how we think about data in schools. If you're following along in the K-12 Educators Data Guidebook, this episode goes great as supplementary material to Chapter 2, which is called Why Tests Aren't Enough. All right, enough from me. Grab a coffee and your favorite donut, and let's get into it. Santos Gonzalez, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello, Ryan Estrellado. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? Um, I'm doing fine. I'm, in, I'm excited for this uh, book to come out. As uh, we are recording this, it's January 5th. We still have a little bit of time. Yeah. But, uh, but so when I, is that officially I, being released? It's Okay. So available for pre-order now on Amazon or Routledge or anywhere where you buy books. And uh, arrives in people's homes March 22nd. Oh, my God. Yeah. All right, I'm yeah. gonna mark that on my calendar. Please do. Please oh well, do. I'll know because it'll arrive at the house. Like, That's right. There we go. <laughs> That's right. You know, it's so hard with a book like this. It's a. It's called the K-12 Educator's Data Guidebook. It's a book mm-hmm. about data, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of books about data, and right. a lot of really good ones. But mostly, these are books that are. Uh, you know, they're procedural in nature. It's, it's, a, it's a how-to, which, which I, you know, which I understand. The K-12 Educators Data Guidebook is also a how-to. But, um, but a lot of what I wanted to do with this book was share stories um, from the educators that I talked to who have had good experiences with data and not-so-good experiences and, you know, have changed the way they see data for better or for worse. And, you know, I, I started all of my research by interviewing people. And then I realized, you know, I just think that these are stories that need to be front and center in the book um, so that there can be some emotional connection with this content. Because I think, you know, so much of what can be really hard about a book about data is that it is almost entirely procedural and, um, and, is, you know, it's very difficult. Education work obviously is like, is, you know, it's an emotional, it's a very human thing. Right. But it's hard. Like, so, you know, I have, uh, I, you know, I have the book and it's got the title and everything, 
you know, but it's very hard to tell from the title that that's and kind of cover the book that this is what I am, what I, this is how I'm trying to connect with people and, and how I want people to feel. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm inviting people onto the show like you and uh, other educators that I, I talked to for the book, other educators that uh, I talked to as research for the book, but, but are not in the book. And even some folks that like, you know, I, I, I haven't talked to you for the book, but I just think would have really interesting experiences because I want, uh, I want y'all's stories to be, um, to be heard. And, and I just think uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about data in this, in this more human way. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm excited. I am too. Well, am as too. you know, I, I, I do have lots of stories to tell. I can't wait. I can't <laughs> You've wait. heard them all. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I want to get into all of that. Uh, but first I think, you know, for the listeners, um, give us some background about how you got into education um, because I know you've at, at this point, you've had a number of different experiences and roles in education. I think I know because we've been friends for so long, I, I, I've known your points of view about many things have changed. We'll get into all of that. But first, just like, how did you find yourself in the classroom? So, okay, obviously, I'm going to talk about like what positions I've held and all of that, right? But I have found recently or, or something that I keep doing is looking excavating my past for answers about what led me to the classroom, right? And I can't seem to find any other way to tell my education story without going to the past. Um, so a big part of what drove me into the classroom was my own experience growing up, you know, grew up in LA, Latino neighborhood, uh, born in, in East LA, all that. Um, saw a lot of, uh, poverty around me. That's when crack kind of swept through the neighborhood, destroyed so many things. Um, and I remember making a decision in sixth grade, like, okay, I don't want to live like in so much chaos. And not that my own home was chaotic. I was one of the lucky, 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 lucky ones that I had you know, two stable parents, all of that food on the table always. Um, but there was a lot of poverty around me and I thought, this is not the life I want. So I thought I have to get into college so that I can have the life that I see that's on TV. Right. <laughs> that's essentially where that came from. So I got my act together because I used to be in the principal's office all the time and I started getting straight A's still got unsatisfactory for behavior, but you know, whatever. Um, and I just worked really hard and, and really uh, dedicated myself to putting myself in front of as many educational opportunities as possible uh, because my goal was to get into college. So got into college and, and there's a lot of experience I had experiences I had in the classroom with teachers um, both in high school and then in college um, that lit a fire under me to, to both become an educator and change some outcomes for students, but also to be a different kind of educator, right? Um, and one in particular that I, I think I've told you the story, uh, you know, I, in ninth grade, I went, I was in the honors program, right? Um, I, I actually pushed my way in there because I wasn't initially invited, but I was like, I'm a GATE student, I'm GATE certified, I need to go to this program. I went there, um, 
And my math teacher was very frustrated with the class one day and just said, uh, you're all going to end up just like your parents, a bunch of gardeners, gardeners and maids. Mm. And I got up and I said some choice words that were not appropriate. I'm not proud of that, but I'm proud that I did stand up for myself and the rest Mm. of us. I got kicked out of class, whatever. But those types of experiences made me realize um, that that's not the educator I want to be, you know, that, that the words that come out of my mouth matter in the classroom and that, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to make a big difference in the lives of students. So anyway, um, I graduated. I started working with uh, um, emotionally disturbed uh, students. I don't know if that's the correct correct <laughs> wordage now. I think it's probably changed. <laughs> yes. So I won't say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they weren't like essentially in um, non-public schools. They were in, you know, uh, a clinical setting. And then I worked in juvenile court and community schools. Um, and I essentially said, you know, I want to go and work in elementary schools where I can catch the kids before they end up at the end of the line in terms of the system, right? And so that's how I became a teacher. Um, I know that's a long kind of winded story, but that all of that motivated, to, motivated me to be a teacher and serve the kind of communities that I'm passionate about serving. Um, and it informs everything that I've done in education. Yeah. So I know that, that because I know, as you said earlier, like I've heard so many of your stories and I know that um, these experiences do like come up over and over again for you as these really conscious things that motivate you and like the decisions that you make and where you want to participate in the system. I'm super curious about as a younger person just getting into the field, how conscious were you about connecting all the dots between those things or is, or is it still of like, you're just kind of drawn to a thing and that's about as much as you can explain it as like somebody in their really early 20s or something. So in my early 20s, I will say this. I didn't do I didn't know anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? I thought I knew a lot, but there was so much I didn't know. Um, I had tons of passion, obviously, tons of energy. Um, I certainly had the will to do a good job, but there was so much I needed to learn. In terms of being conscious of all that, I don't think I was. Um, what I remember about myself as a young teacher um, was I really believed that education was a pathway out of poverty. And I say that all the time. That's a phrase that comes out. And so I really worked hard to um, connect with parents and my students and to lift them up and uh, give them hope towards opportunities, right? Um I was extremely hopeful and I thought schools could do that. Schools alone could do that if we only worked harder, if we only, you know, if we only were better. Um, and uh, obviously my, my feelings have changed somewhat. They're much more nuanced now, but yeah, I, I a, was not conscious of everything that kind of informed my, my um understanding of how schools worked or why I wanted to work in them. Um, but I was still so naive about what was really happening in schools and society in general, you know, that was impacting outcomes for students. I think this is so interesting, Uh, you know, not to get too, too philosophical here, but I think this is like a really interesting 
question because it's like I think what you're saying is there's a certain amount of motivation as a younger educator that is kind of comes from a place where you don't yet understand the complexity of uh, of the education system, right? And and you know, we you and I are both you know now have many many years experience in education. And I think it could be easy for us to kind of look back on our younger selves and, and just be like, Oh wow. How, you know, how little you knew and kind of maybe minimize that point of view. But, but I think the other side of what you're saying in a way is like, maybe, I don't know how exactly how I feel about this, but, there, but there's a part of me that wonders like, maybe it had, maybe the oversimplification of how it worked had to be there in order for us to, to to uh, spark the passion that we had, you know, because it's like, I think if you, I wonder if like a younger, you know, 24 year old me fully appreciated what we knew now between the politics and the, you know, the fiscal side of it, all of these, you know, various factors that are not really, though they affect students, they are not the students, but like, I won't speak for you, though I think somehow I think you feel the, the same way as like, I've had many phases in my career where I kind of went through that phase where I'm just like, well, if we could just do it, if we could just work harder and do it better, everything would be fixed. Then I went through, you know, another phase where it was essentially was shock <laughs> that like there are all these other factors that play into like how and why we have the outcomes that we have between policy and um and then there's this phase that I kind of think I'm in now, which is like, I guess the best way to describe it is you kind of accept that it's fairly complicated and, and understanding that complexity and, and being awake to it and being understanding of others who are also struggling through it is, is part of the work, you know, it, um, what's your take on that? I mean, do you feel like, uh, are, are, are you glad you didn't know everything? <laughs> I'm 100% glad because I don't know if I would have done the work that I needed to do. I, I, I don't know if I would have stuck it out. I, this is okay. So this, <laughs> this just came to me as we were talking, as I was listening to you speak. I believe I bought into what I believed education was, right? Uh, but maybe at that point, what was important was that I was bringing my own background into this system that eventually I understood was not okay. Right. And maybe that was enough for that, for that time. Um, because at that time it was no child left behind and maybe that was too big, <laughs> big of a tidal wave to kind of swim against. Right. Um, and so, but had I not gone through, gone through no child left behind and the extreme kind of measures that came about maybe I would not have come out the other end with this more profound understanding and, uh, and examined my own complicity in this system that, in my opinion, was extremely hurtful to students of color, you know? Now it seems like everybody knows that. <laughs> yep. But my journey, that journey was extremely painful for me and I think it happened a lot earlier than, it, it, God, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this because it sounds like 
we're both from like the same age group where it's like, I, did, I knew it before it was cool. I feel like I'm sounding like that. And I don't want to sound like that. That's so lame. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I was coming to that very much earlier than recently. And I remember how painful that was mm -hmm. and lonely because I didn't see anybody else echoing that back to me. And so I thought, am I wrong here? Am I imagining this? You know, am I, I am I just <laughs> not crazy, but I must be wrong. I must be wrong. And why do I feel so wrong? So anyway, um, all this understanding that is there now in education has really uh, helped me feel validated in many ways. Um, so it's wonderful to see that, but it was a very painful process for me to come to that understanding on my own because I didn't really have a whole lot of examples or it wasn't in the, in the atmosphere. People weren't really talking about that a lot. Yeah. Let's, let's dig into that a little bit because it's the very thing that, that drew me to your story and wanted to include it in a book about data, because I think, you know, you brought up no child left behind and, to your point, you know, I was also, uh, you know, kind of in a younger part of my career during the NCLB era. But during that time, part of it is maybe it was because I was a school psychologist and I just was not doing the same kinds of work as you were as a teacher. But like it was kind of oblivious to how exactly that big that change was. And it, and it was only when I was listening to your story and researching the policy history you know, for, for the book that I realized, oh, wow, I really, I, I, I really lived through a, like a really, a significant time of change in education, um, in general, but in particular, like in the way that we think about data. And, and so I want to dig into that a little bit because you start like your first year in teaching was like right when that policy was getting rolled out, right? And if uh, if I recall the, the story uh, correctly, there was an element of the data requirements that was actually at first felt like it was revolutionary and empowering in terms of like how it informed. Oh, what, absolutely. Uh, yeah. To, absolutely. Tell us about that. Okay. So like, you know, when I first started, I, I actually started teaching a couple years before it, it, it came out, but um. What I landed at a school that was a charter school that was at that time extremely innovative in the way it was looking at student achievement. It was extremely data-driven school, and that was new at the time. <laughs> uh, you know, just like standards, the way we think of standards, that was rolling out uh, during my first couple years, and there were people like, "What standards?" You know what I mean? Is that and so, so weird to think about now? <laughs> it is weird. It's weird, but I lived it. That's how I know it's true <laughs> because <laughs> I remember. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, I was at a school that was very forward-thinking, and I, I it was this wonderful kind of energetic young staff that was all in everybody was running 100 miles per hour, you know? And so it was exciting to be there. And, and this charter school had this amazing vision that I bought into, right? And so uh, the, 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 the data piece, as we got smarter about how they were testing the students, um, we started to cultivate 
um, our own processes for how to get results, right? And I, I'm saying this and I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed, but it was at the time we thought we were doing the right thing, yeah. you know? Um, but like I said, if I had not gone through that, I would not mm -hmm. have come out the other end with this understanding. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were looking at the standards. Uh, they, they released something called the power standards, right? And it was a framework for how they were testing the kids. So what they did was identify these standards um, that were heavily weighted on the test. And so <clears throat> when I went to that school, when I, I transferred to that school from another district, it was the lowest school in the entire district. Um, and so it, it was challenging. And that's why this charter took over it because they said, you know, let's put our vision into practice here. And so we had these power standards and, um, we're like, okay, we figured something out. Ooh, we're so bright. We're going to teach to the power standards. You know what I mean? And I mean, it worked. The test scores went up, right? <laughs> because how can they not? If you're yeah. gaming it, of course, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and we thought we were doing the right thing mm -hmm. because we were no longer the lowest school in the district. We were getting these accolades and uh, test scores were going up. But um, I started to just realize, wait a minute, <laughs> I think we're, we're missing kind of the point, you know, and I don't know if people around me were asking those same questions. I have to imagine there was more than just me. I'm not like this mm -hmm. huge genius, but um, I think it started to feel like, oh, wait, I don't think we're doing this right. Let's kind of start reevaluating some of this. And certainly... I started to realize that, oh, we're focusing on raising test scores rather than focusing on student learning. If we focus on student learning, then the test scores will rise, of course, but we're doing it backwards, right? We're engineering, um, you know, test scores by focusing on those test scores rather than focusing on student learning. And so that was a, the first major shift for me. I was like, oh, got it. Got it. I'm getting this. <laughs> you know. Can you think of a moment that was like really signaled to you that you were like, oh yeah, me, I may need to rethink this. You know, I can think of two. One I'll share. The other one I'll, I won't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember one year. Okay. So one of the, 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 the major things that we did at that school is when we got the test scores, there was this big staff meeting and we would look at the test scores and, you know, celebrate and, and, and hiss. No, we didn't hiss, but, um, it felt like it. So one year, uh, I was a sixth grade teacher. Uh, this one year there was one particular, well, fifth grade, all of you saw the test scores just plummet, right? The year before they were normal, I guess. And then the, the that year they, they plummeted. And I just remember going, God, what are they doing? Mm. Whatever. Blah, 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 right. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to the next year. Guess what happened to our scores with that set of kids, right? They looked like they plummeted. But if we looked at like data from, what is it called? Cohort data. If we yeah. would attract those same kids, we would have seen that they were making progress. Yeah. But we were comparing them to last year's kids, right? Yes. And so I remember I was like, oh, it doesn't feel so good when the scores look like I suck, you know? <laughs> right. And, right. and But I remember thinking, 
we worked our butts off with these kids and mm-hmm. these kids made so much progress, you know, mm-hmm. how is that possible? And so I realized, okay, I don't think we have a full understanding of how to use data. That was kind of an indication to me, like data is not getting the full picture. I think that was the first real major, like, hmm, yeah. that's, that's not working, <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, and, and the other one's just something else, but um, I won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> you and I are both kind of talking about this slightly embarrassed at these like <laughs> insights that in, in a way like what we're suggesting is like, well, it's obvious now, like what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but I want to push back on that a little bit because I got to say, I think what the, this insight that you're describing, I think is kind of a nuanced thing. You know, it's, you know, I, I think about data as you know, I think about data all yes. the time. Yes. And it wasn't until I did until your story really challenged me to try and understand what exactly the problem is, right? Because I think it's easy for us to say like, well, tasks aren't everything. In fact, I think that the chapter, the title of the chapter is, you know, it's got to be more than more than tasks or tasks aren't enough, I think is the, is, I'm is so the title. I'm so happy that I'm I'm part of that chapter. <laughs> I am so happy too. Because, like, because it really, uh, it gave me an opportunity to, like, really de- like ask why. The, but what does that mean? Like, what is it actually, why is it bad to do that, right? Because I can, when I think back to that time, you were a teacher. I was, uh, you know, I was a school psychologist. Um, and I remember thinking like, okay, I get the sentiment that it can't be about tests because, uh, you know, but it felt more just like because numbers aren't human beings, right? And we're here for human beings. Um, But then there was another part of me that kind of thought, but on the other hand, uh, number one, why shouldn't we measure? And number two, if we're teaching well, then wouldn't the tests be, you know, be fine? Like, and it's understandable to think that and not grasp this thing that you were talking about earlier, which is, well, like tests aren't necessarily bad, but it is possible to reverse the the relationship between the ideal relationship between them. Right. And, uh, and, you know, one of the things I learned as I sort of researched this is that it, it, there's one description, um, you know, about the way tests work, which is they're a sample of, uh, of a lot of things that kids, um, should be learned. We want them to learn, right? They can't possibly capture every single thing that we want for them to learn to be uh, successful and and happy, you know, members of our community. Um, it can't possibly capture all of that, right? Um, so if we teach to all of those things, yes, uh, the tests will look good. But on the other hand, if we teach only to the testing sort of parts of it, which by necessity have to be less than reality, then you leave all of these other things out and your test scores might look good. But then, then you've got all these like experiences in real life where, where students are missing out on some stuff. So, I, you know, I think I've spoken to you about what I'm just about to say. Uh, another major moment for me in understanding, in trying to put into words and conceptualizing what I was beginning to understand about testing and education and all of that was there was a podcast episode on This American this American Life, and it was about data. And it was about a uh, police force, I believe in Florida. Oh, I love this story. Um, that had, like, the, the police chief had said, we need to up our number of arrests, right? Um, 
because active policing means safer streets, blah, blah, blah. So what ended up happening um, was one young man who had, um, you know, was, I think he was cognitively. Um, he had some like de- delays. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, he was, he used to like help out at a little corner market. Right. And he had cognitive delays and he was this very sweet young man. Right. And because he didn't fight the cops or argue, they started to arrest him when they were low on numbers and release him and arrest him and release him, arrest him and release him. And I don't remember the exact number of arrests, but it was in the hundreds that this young man. So you could imagine his rap sheet, right? Yeah. And so a reporter, I, I, or I don't know how it was discovered, but it ended up that they were doing this because they, they were, the police officers were being pressured by their police chief to get more arrests on record. And th- they were just finding the easiest target to do it to and uh, upping their numbers. Now, arrest records went up or arrests went up, but the, the, the streets weren't safer. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. um, obviously I'm butchering that story, but the podcast episode is amazing. And, but for me, it was the clearest way to explain the danger of mm-hmm. kind of how we were starting or we had been using data in education. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why like in some school districts or whatever, uh, you know, principals ended up cheating on tests and doing all these extreme things. Right. Um, so that's, those are indications that when data is being abused or it's not being understood and and used correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. I, like I, that was totally not the story I thought you were going to tell about like, but, but, but it, you're to your point. Yeah. It does illustrate this idea of, uh, you know, sometimes the way I think of it is, when we conceptualize a goal like purely around or a problem purely around numbers, then then sometimes there's the danger of conceptualizing the solution then purely around numbers. Right. right? I feel like that's what I was doing when I was te- yeah. teaching the power standards. Yeah. I was doing that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. Did you think I was going to bring up the episode about Numi, the car? Uh, no, but I okay, do that's love. Another great that's a great episode. one. Yeah, the one on continuous improvement. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to bring up the story about um, Comstat, the the data system that I think was developed in New York. Um, but you know, it's an interesting uh, parallel to data in education, and from what I understand, also data in like healthcare, for you know, mm-hmm. for example, which mm-hmm. is um, these are fields that at different times in their history were sorely lacking in objective external information data, mm-hmm. right? It just, people were making decisions solely on gut or, you know, experience, which, which you know, I make the point in the book, are powerful things, you know, yeah. to, to make decisions off of, like we need those things. But like, but these are fields where for a long time, as powerful as intuition is, um, it, it it also predictably suffers from like a pattern of errors. It's just part of being a human being. Mm-hmm. It's just part of it, right? And and so 
you know, in healthcare and then, you know, policing New York and then also in education is um, they, they've gone through these periods of time b- because of policy where, mm-hmm. where the solution was thought of as like, we just have to measure everything. Uh, you know, which again, you know, I hope I'm sending the, the message here that like, that's not inherently a bad idea. Right, right. But, but, but to your point, it's like, uh, during these periods of time where we're still trying to adopt a nuanced approach to this, mm-hmm. we have the opposite of that, which is an mm-hmm. unnuanced, I don't know if mm-hmm. it's a real word, but it's a not nuanced approach, right? And right. in, in this, uh, the story of Comstat, I think this was... I don't remember if it was on NPR or sorry, this American life. I think it actually was this American life. Um, but uh, th- what people would do is they would, ju- if they had um, higher rates of a particular kind of crime mm-hmm. assault, for example, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the actual one. Yeah. They would just, they essentially what they would do is, is they would just change. They would recategorize it. Oh my um, and, uh, you know, again, because there were such, I think this is the other part that gets really, really tough and, and, you know, sensitive to talk about, you know, so I don't want to go too far into it, but the other part of this is like in definitely in policing and, and also in education, I don't know if this is true in healthcare, but there were some serious consequences for not getting these numbers. Right. right. I mean, you know, it wasn't just an issue of like, is the is the craft of education progressing? It was like, oh, our school might not exist anymore <laughs> if we don't like if we mm-hmm. don't get these numbers correct. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that really, when people get desperate, um, and the solution to the actual problem, which was high quality sort of learning experiences, mm-hmm. right? When the solution to the problem is is difficult and almost like infinitely complex. I, I I think what happens is like you look for the next simplest thing, which mm-hmm. is, well, you know, it's the numbers that we get judged on. How, how do we exercise greater control over the numbers? There, yeah. There's obviously is like varying levels of sort of, of, uh, varying versions of that for example studying the power standards is not the same as cheating on a test obviously right. but right. like i think there's a similar psychology there which is like how do we how do we approach the data in a way that like helps our school not close down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so you know same thing like with the comsat that people lost their jobs or you know pe- leadership would lose their jobs in the police force if i remember the story right uh if the numbers were not what they needed to be and so right uh, really raises yeah I always found it funny that uh, when a school, and I'm putting this in quotes, was failing, the solution was let's dismantle the school rather than uh-huh. let's ask some great questions and, and come, come up with some solutions here, right? Yeah. Why is it, <laughs> it's so punitive mm-hmm. and that always was so strange to me. It's like, yeah. um, these are teachers. <laughs> yeah. These are teachers and students and, and, and principals and other, uh, you know, school staff. Mm-hmm. they're not here trying to punish anybody or breaking a law. Yeah. They're like working hard. Let's support them. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Okay. So no child left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he has starting to have some changing views about the role of data. Uh, can, can you, how would like, if you could summarize just in like, just like a, 
a one or two sort of just statements of philosophy about like how your ideas about data change because of that. Like, how would you describe that? Mm. Oh, well, oh while you're thinking, I should note for the listeners, I have always known you to be very, very interested in using data. Um, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, so, so that, that's definitely a thing for you. So like, yes, it, it, yes. I, I definitely have a love hate relationship mm-hmm. with data. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so what are you, okay. So you asked, what are my views now or how is my view more nuanced now? About yeah. Data. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'll say this. I definitely went through a phase where I, I was like, I don't really care about test scores. Yeah. I will say, and to a certain extent, I still am that way. Mm-hmm. Even in my last few years of uh, being an educator or mm-hmm. an administrator. Mm-hmm. But I switch. what I did was I switched that intense focus on test scores to an intense focus on student learning, mm-hmm. right? And supporting my teachers. Mm-hmm. And yet the test scores went up and I'm extremely proud of that. Like, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Ooh, I turned around the, the lowest school in my district. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that is something I feel proud of. But at the same time, it wasn't what I spoke to my teachers about all the time. Yeah. You know, like I didn't slap the data up and keep it posted on this humongous bulletin board. I talked to them. I said, good job, guys. Look at all your hard work that we knew was happening. Yeah. It, 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 it brought the test scores up and we didn't do any test prep. We didn't do drill and kill. We didn't do all the stuff that poor kids usually get in school. Yeah. Right. We, we just did high quality teaching. Mm-hmm. And so um, I understand the role of data in the school and it has its place, you know, in education. And it certainly can allow you to get some sort of picture of what you're dealing with, you know, um, when you're trying to get a lay of the land of the school. Um, but I think it's important that you have a nuanced understanding of all the gaps that there are in your understanding of mm. that school um, and not jump to conclusions based on just either one piece of data or two, you know, but that you're really taking the time to observe and to talk and to listen and to ask questions and mm. to really get that full understanding. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm mixed, right? I, I haven't, I have not let go of that excitement of seeing my test scores go up. I'll, yeah. I, I won't lie about that, yeah. but I certainly have a much more healthy relationship to it because it's not the, it's not the, it's not the end result that I'm seeking. It's really yeah. the process of teaching kids that I'm more, and, and, right. and you don't need to get to the end of the year test to know that your kids learned if you That's do it right. right? Yeah. Right. So yeah, when say, I'm say more about on that, that with... all year, then I already know my test scores yeah, are going right. to go To me, I can do it with predictability. Yeah. I, and I've always said that I can make test scores go up with predictability. I know exactly how to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. and it's by focusing on the learning and, and you already know, you already know every step of the way I have, you know, an understanding by the, the, the end of the first quarter where we mm. are, <laughs> you yeah. know, where we're going to end up. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I really like that for two reasons. The first is what you described earlier, like this tendency to ask questions and want to understand to me speaks to like a larger quality that is, that you'll find in people who are really great with data, but more importantly, you'll find with people who are just analytically minded, which 
well, I'll get to this next point in a moment, but just to, 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 you know, to clarify that, like, curiosity is like, it, data is not the analysis, right? Like, our interaction with any number of external sources of information, including numerical data, but not exclusively, mm-hmm. is the analysis, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the way that we sort of draw consensus across all of these different things again, including numerical data, but not exclusively that, is the analysis, right? Is not, it, and, and, and to, to see it that way, I think it, it's easier to see it that way when we cultivate a sense of desire to understand, right? Because mm-hmm. at that point, all information is important, um, not just the scores and a year scores, but also the scores that are rolling in weekly or quarterly, and then also conversations with your parents and mm-hmm. also conversations with the kid, you know, mm-hmm. d- the ability to be able to like draw some consensus across all of those things, I think is what makes an, a nuanced approach. I think that what can get really dangerous is when we think of like somebody who is analytically minded as being somebody who's good with Excel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, there are a lot of people like that. Yes. But, um, but it's kind of like, I don't know, like it's, 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 it's conflating the two things when I don't think they, you know, they, they should be. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I can't tell you how many, uh, leaders I have seen that have these big, beautiful data walls and yet every year their test scores go down, you know, it's like, you got to stop staring at the darn wall. Right. (laughs) That, that, it's not gonna, it's, that's not gonna save you, (laughs) you know, Uh, you're focusing on the wrong things. Yeah. But maybe that just comes from experience or I don't know. I, I, I was talking to somebody today and explaining how incredibly lucky I have been in my career that I have gotten the exact type of experiences that I needed Mm. to develop this and I'm not tooting my own horn, but I guess I am this, this great understanding of how to make a school work for kids, you know, and had any of those experiences that I've had not been there, I don't know if Mm. I would be as good as I am. Oh God, that sounded horrible. Oh, I'm bragging. (laughs) But you know what I mean? I don't know if I would have had the ability to do what I have done. Yeah. Um, Because what, talking to it was a newer principal and I was talking to him and he's like but how how did you do that and, and so I said well I got that from learning this when I was a teacher and da, 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 and, uh, and this mentor and this you know and I started to put it all together and it's like oh I've had these experiences that a lot of principals have not you yeah. know and um so they just haven't been as lucky <laughs> you know or haven't been given the right kind of support you yeah. know to yeah. to to deal with data in a more constructive manner. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I think that's a, that's a great segue into what I wanted to talk about next, which okay. is your, your career path is really interesting to Dude. me. Yeah, yeah. Like it's really, you know, you've always, I've always known you to be such a reflective person. And I think part of what comes of that is mm-hmm. you like to explore 
and yeah. sort of, you know, and, and sort of see. And so you, you know, we started this conversation and uh, by talking about your, what your experience is like as a teacher. And then, mm-hmm. and then you just got done talking about what it was like for you to, to be a principal. And now I understand you are undertaking a new adventure and I would love to hear more about that. Yay. So, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I took a year off to care for my parents mm-hmm. and also, you know, I was experiencing a bit of burnout. And yep. so it was kind of a nice segue to take care of my parents and then kind of figure out, okay, what's my next step? Um, and slowly started to explore and I applied for this position as a leadership coach. Um, and I got it. Thank goodness. Um, and so basically this organization, it's called LAEP, uh, Mm -hmm. Los Angeles education partnership. And they have a, a grant, um, to provide uh, coaching, leadership coaching to any sort of district, site, county, teacher, leader, or administrator um, for free, right? I don't know if I said that, for free. Um, In addition to like professional learning opportunities, essentially PD that we can come into the schools and provide uh, or into the districts, um, and then like communities of practice, right? And it's all... Um, meant to kind of help these school leaders um, grapple with how to lead uh, with equity in mind, right? So some of the topics that we cover are like staff burnout, which is huge right now, um, equity, racial equity, student voice, um, and then just really understanding how to um, create schools that work for students um, especially students of color, you know? So I'm very excited. You know, uh, I have taken all that I've learned (laughs) and I'm now applying it to help other people. And that makes me so happy. I'm very excited. I am very excited. So what is it about coaching that, because I know as a, uh, the modern principal and you in particular, like coaching is a big part of that. And uh, now this is a different role. It sounds like, dedicated exclusively to coaching what is it what is it like is the nature of the coaching different uh, in this new role versus like what it was like as a principal yes so I would say this um so much of the work that I did as a principal of course is coaching staff members right uh coaching everybody really it's influenced by positional power right because I'm the boss (laughs) so um Yes, I built capacity with my teachers and really coached them. And and I also actually got other people to coach them as well, more peers. Um, so now being in a position where I'm not somebody's boss and that I can just be there as a sounding board and as a person to kind of allow them to um, explore their own thinking, right, Um that is truly, in my opinion, the purest form of coaching. And I'm so excited about it because there's no agenda, right? It's just like, I am a hundred percent here just for you. Yeah. And we get to tackle whatever problem you want to tackle and you get to be, uh, what is it, validated and supported, mm-hmm. um, in a way that, uh, school leaders and, and just all leaders at schools and teachers, um, need right now. So I'm excited. I'm super stoked. I'm excited for you. Yeah. I can't <laughs> wait to hear more about like how, 
how this goes and what you learn. And uh, yeah, it just sounds like a really neat experience. All right. So I'm just going to like throw a little pitch out there if you don't mind. Please. (laughs) So yeah. So right now, you know, I am um, putting the word out there that uh, I, we are providing coaching free of charge um, for any uh, district site um, leader or county leader um, and teacher leaders as well. And um, if you're interested in, you know, inquiring about that or signing up for that, I really encourage you to reach out. Um, One of the ways you can reach out is um, to go to the website and just sign up and then we contact you um, so that we can sit down and and talk more about what exactly you're looking for and how we can support you. And that website is, um, and I'll send it to you too, Mm -hmm. laep.org slash 21 CSLA. And uh, so that's where the information is. Or if it's easier, you can just look me up on LinkedIn or Facebook and, mm-hmm. and send me a message there or friend me or add me or connect with me. And I'd be happy to talk with you about that. Got have it. a so, lot of spots available for, for coaching. So we'll make sure to put all of that in the notes. That's uh, laep.org forward slash 21 CSLA uh, and... Santos Gonzalez on Facebook and also on LinkedIn. Okay. Santos Gonzalez Verardo. Oh, okay. Use, uh, use I, both names on those. All right. Yeah, because it's easier to people for people to find me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got it. Okay, we'll we'll be sure we'll be sure to put that uh, all of that in the in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. Santos, I am so thankful that well, first that you shared your story and allowed for me to tell it in the book. Uh, I learned so much from hearing your story, which is kind of strange when you think about for how long we've known each other that we haven't really gone that deep on your on views this part, on, yeah. on this. Yeah, on this particular right. thing. So yeah, that was talk really, about everything else. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, and uh, and I just can't wait to get uh, get your voice out, you know, to the listeners and, and to the readers and continue the conversation because I think really that's what we, you know, we we need here is just a, a chance to name these things and, you know, non-judgmentally just talk about what this is really like, you know, the way data is not, doesn't always feel great to use right. it. In fact, right. you know, most people, not most. I, I think people. you're the perfect person to bring this message to educators because you're so thoughtful and thorough and you really listen to teacher and and uh educator voices and i think you have such integrity around wanting to do right by every person that you spoke spoke to and that informed your writing you know um and your ideas in in this book so i i'm excited i can't wait to you know grab that book and get you to sign it for me (laughs) and i'm I'm so proud of you i'm so proud of you i'm so happy i cannot wait to get this book thank you so much santos that really really means a lot uh i appreciate it and i can't wait for uh for people to have it too um okay so um I would uh I'd love to like have you back on let's and let's sort of see once the book comes out and let's you know and and let's uh you know and let's keep the conversation going definitely most definitely okay my friend thank you so much take care you too Bye -bye. bye